0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: It's the Hidden Yardage Podcast on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Joined, as always, by Sean Martin, you can find at sean martin nfl so how did we spend our bye week it was a formula one day
2: here in austin so i wasn't at the racetrack that's definitely a big bucket list item to uh, consider one of these years that i plan on being down here to make my way over to circuit of the americas and see the race there you know some of the appeal of it being the only us f1 race is going to be going away i'm not sure the exact uh, logistics of when Miami and well, I think they already are racing in Miami. So I, m- I might be outdated already by saying that, but Las Vegas is getting a circuit and a track uh, in the near future, I think as well. So a little bit of the appeal of, you know, Austin being the only place where these drivers come has passed it by, but still an unbelievable place by all accounts to uh, see some racing. Of course, the weather stays nice this time of year. Today was I think a solid 90 throughout the day or, in the 80s for most of it, so uh, I'm sure it was a great day for Max Verstappen fans. Of course, it's been a great day for them all season with the way he's dominated Formula One this year, but yeah, uh, that was kind of the, uh, the thing to keep an eye on, of course, along with the rest of these NFL games, while the Cowboys had their week off.
1: I lay on the couch and I watched Red Zone, and that's what I did. Hey, there were was, was a few and, things
2: better yeah. than that. So, uh, you know, tears to that, because I'm I'm heading up to Dallas next weekend. I think I've teased that a couple times before, but I'll be in attendance at the Rams game. So, you know, nothing longer for a bit of a chill kickback weekend before, uh, you know, get some travel plans going for this upcoming.
1: Yeah, year. and one thing that I think that Cowboys fans want to know about going into Rams week is, you know, how did Dallas do During their bye week, yes, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually win your bye week, Sean. And you know that's something that don't tell
2: NFL memes that because they you know they'll take the low-hanging fruit of photoshopping, you know, bye week forty-two, Dallas Cowboys ten, or something of those lines.
1: Well, yeah, I mean you can do that, but I'm talking like all right. let, Let me lay it out for you. Do you think? just this past bye week that the Cowboys won? Do you think they won their bye week Well,
2: let me start with never in any
1: universe. I know you're big on the Mark Lane
2: multiverse theory. Never in any edition where, I mean, like, first of all, hopefully there's not too many other universes where you're forced to do a podcast with me. So maybe this is the only one and makes this point a little bit mute. But in as many universes as Hidden the Artist podcast exists, which is hopefully more than one, I never thought the first context we would add for if the Cowboys won or not on a bye week is talking about the Detroit Lions box score. But that's where a lot of people seem to go on social media and such this week. There's been a lot of buzz of, you know, the Lions inching their way up in the NFC hierarchy as real contenders and how much they're to prove it on the road with a tough game against the Ravens. And oh, certainly they're not down and out after a loss like this. Dan Campbell's team, you could even say, is, you know, best with their backs against the wall. They love that underdog mentality as much as they even have continued to win and when they opened the year and arrowhead with a win that turned a lot of heads. But yeah, them dropping to five and two with a thirty eight to six definitive win for the Ravens over the Lions there. That was kind of the first thing that points to the Cowboys having a good bye week because you know, I don't I don't personally buy into the Lions being contenders, even if they did turn that score completely around and even if they beat the Ravens thirty eight to six, you know, I think there's some flaws there that the Cowboys could take advantage of in a head-to-head matchup or what have you. But, yeah, in- interesting world that we live in when the first answer to your question of if the Cowboys won the bye week or not has to do with the Lions. But part of that is because the 49ers don't play until tonight. They have the Vikings, so we'll see what is certainly the class of the NFC tonight against the Vikings. And other than that, internally for the Cowboys, I mean, we'll see once it comes on the field against the Rams, but – It's been just a kind of quiet week, the week we expected, where we know what they have to work on. We know that they seem to still be going through an install phase in offense, and that's later in the year than you want to be using that term, install of your offense. So if the bye week can accelerate that and the defense can equally figure some things out and let Dan Quinn get back in the lab tinkering with some things, then yeah, all of those things would point to a successful bye week. And I think we're gonna see most of what you would want to see against the Rams.
1: Oh of course preparations and everything and getting ready for the next week. Oh yeah, that all that goes into it. But what you were thinking of when you brought up the Lions, that's the that's the theme. That's winning your bye week. And it's really related to your division. So Philadelphia won. You had New York playing Washington and usually with those, um, in you know, inter-division. Um, I'm sorry, um, you know, when you have those divisional matchups going against each other like that, there's not really too much ground to gain. So uh, I, I would have to say that Dallas, you know, they didn't win their bye week this year. Um, I don't think that they really made up any ground in the division. Um, Philadelphia is still trying to run away with the thing, although you still have the, you know, the two games with them to catch up. But, you know, you really didn't make any ground. I'll give you an example of winning your bye week. And that goes back to 2014 when the Cowboys were on their week 11 bye uh, after having come back from London, and the entire NFC East lost. And in doing so, Dallas, you know, took some steps forward, which, you know, helped when they went to 4 and won the NFC East. So that's really the best way, the optimal way, that you can win your bye week. To me, the
2: Giants commanders game was just definitive proof though that, you know, if we need as if we needed it anymore, that the NFC East is a two-team race. I mean, we we fought that all along anyway between the Cowboys and the Eagles, but maybe the Giants are gonna start playing well enough and up to their talent level and up to being a playoff team last year where they can maybe sneak one on you. Of course the Cowboys already have a 14-0 win on their record against the Giants, so you worry less about that in the head to head you know, we haven't seen the Commanders head-to-head yet, but you know they only put up seven points in that effort against a talented and good Giants defense, but certainly not you know cream of the crop, top of the league Giants defense where the Commanders should have been able to uh, you know really get back in that game in the way they were unable to, losing 14-7 there at MetLife Stadium. So yeah, to me that game you know do you want to see it breaking overway way as far as division standings possibly, but the score being so low and those teams continuing to make mistakes and get in their own way really just proved that everything on this Cowboys season is riding on what you do against the Eagles and the Cowboys seem to play the Eagles better than almost anybody. I mean, the Dolphins had a good game plan going into Sunday night, but they had some things fall apart on them with the offensive line being banged up. And we know how much that can handicap the Cowboys at times too, but we'll have to you know, put that on hold until we see how the teams are looking going into an, it's Cowboys-Eagles week, one of those games being in prime time coming up, of course. But, yeah, the Cowboys seem to always just have the Eagles number, not in a way where they dominate a one-sided rivalry, but they just find a way to get up for that game. You're not going to get a lot down like the Cardinals. You're not going to get a beat down like the 49ers game. And so every NFL season comes down to one or two plays in a matter of inches. And my stance on that being how Cowboys-Eagles will be decided this year, didn't change over to buy, so I'll take that as a win.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned the um, the rest of the NFC East. Yeah, I mean, they just, my goodness. New York and Washington, <laughs> they just look like messes. But here's the deal with every NFL team, is by December, every NFL team is going to have one almost elite thing that they do well. Like, they'll have an elite secondary or an elite defensive line or offensive line, and that thing is going to be what confounds you in this, you know, matchup of, you know, a four-loss team and a ten-loss team where it should just be, oh, yeah, easy peasy, and it isn't. So what I saw with those two teams was – dominant defensive
2: lines. Yeah, these teams can absolutely win in the trenches. You know, Giants pass us has been a bit underwhelming in terms of, you know, trying to get teams in favorable situations for that pass us where it's an obvious passing down. They did a little bit against Sam Howell today, and, you know, that says more about just where Washington is under Sam Howell, but that's been kind of the missing piece of this Giants defense. I think it's the great equalizer on defense many of the times, and we say the same about Dan Quinns here in Dallas of, you know what the pass rush can make up for and that's kind of where the giants have have lacked and it's led to parts of their secondary getting exposed but yeah the defensive lines can uh, absolutely control control these games but oh, look like, offensively they can't push the ball downfield where really, the giants or the commanders both struggle in that area the run games have let them down even when saquon is making big plays you know the, the game management came into so much question for the Giants just a week ago against the Bills when I really could have stolen that game. And that would have completely changed the context of how we talked about this win over the commanders. I mean, if you ask me, did the Cowboys win their bye week and we're staring at a Giants team that just won two in a row with a backup quarterback on the road in Buffalo and then at home against the commanders, of course I wouldn't be saying that they won the bye week, not even at all. I mean, there's nothing I could say that would be good. The Eagles won and the Giants are building momentum. So instead you know, the Giants still have a long way to go. It's good they won in front of their home crowd. They didn't have a home win yet this yet this season. I have plenty of friends that go to a lot of their games. So a little bit happy for them. Don't, you know, fire me, RJ, for, for saying that. But good for them to, you know, see a Giants win and they can go ahead and battle it out for the bottom spots the rest of the way in this division as far as I'm concerned because it just sure doesn't look like they're up to the class of uh, the division or the conference this
1: year. By the way, Mike McCarthy coming off the bye. 11 and 5 so you know we'll have to see if that uh has any relation to the rams matchup
2: and certainly the pressure it seems coming off the bye is going to be on the offense you know the defense had a good showing against the chargers they made the play when it mattered back to back with the parsons sack and the stefan gilmore interception so you know the defense isn't going to just rest this week and not think they have things to work on and not continue to make adjustments and whether that's seeing more of Juanier Thomas when he gets healthy or how Marquise's bell, uh, how his role continues to develop. All of these I kind of wrote about in a short synopsis on blogging the boys for us as far as the potential lineup changes you might see on both sides of the ball. But, yeah, it certainly seems like the number one thing to watch and that's being talked about off the bye for the Cowboys right now, and rightfully so, is what is the offense going to look like off the bye? Is Mike McCarthy – ready to, you know, coach this team down the stretch, do what Kevin Moore couldn't, keep this offense for us, keep it innovative, continue to incorporate new things, whether it's motion or, you know, finding the right balance in the run game to uh, put this team in the right position down the stretch. So yeah, it's going to be of all the post-buy Mike McCarthy games, which is going back quite a ways, as you pointed out in the record there, you know, recency bias fully in, in vision here, but it really could be one of the more important off-buy games of, McCarthy's career because there's a lot riding on specifically how his offense and the way he calls it looks in the immediate game to follow here against the Rams, a team that you better put up some points against and you better finish drives in the red zone because Matt Stafford is still playing at a high level. Sean McVay is still dialing it up on the offensive side over there. So yeah, you better put up points against the Rams if you want to feel comfortable in this game.
1: What's your one statistic that tells you things with the Cowboys will be better.
2: So I got one for both sides of the ball, actually. I did a little bit of uh, extra credit, you know, so I can uh, skip out of the final, hopefully. Uh, I don't want to have to take the final exam. We're hoping to come home early for summer break, so did some extra credit here. One stat on offense, one on defense. I'll start with offense there. Um, Dak Prescott's current 69.5% completion percentage, actually is highest of of his career, so I know that we've all kind of talked about what's this missing element in McCarthy's offense. Just by the eye test, you know, I don't disagree at all, and I've talked about it here and in other places myself, about yeah, it does seem like I agree there's something missing, and you know, the high percentage throws on not there, but the numbers don't bear that. So, Dak Prescott still completing passes at a high percentage, which he's done his whole career, but it's improved under McCarthy, which is something we thought we could see, based on the route concepts that come with the West Coast style, and everything like that. So I think there's even more room to improve that, more room to hopefully create yards after the catch, which is something that we would welcome with not only C.D. Lamb, but can Brandon Cooks continue to do so? Can Jalen Tolbert find more snaps over a Michael Gallup or what have you to do so? So Dak Prescott, nine and a half percent completion percentage so far is a really good sign that this offense can really continue to develop. And then on defense, I'm going to go with the fact that they have uh, – A total of six games last year where they allowed less than 100 rushing yards. Already have three this season, so they have a long way to go to top that number. Somewhat arbitrary, you know, yards per carry and other things could be more nuanced, but I didn't want to dive too into the weeds on all of that. They only gave up 53 rushing yards against the Chargers, and that was with Austin Eckler, a dynamic back, making his season debut and being back at Kellen Moore's disposal in that game. So a lot of things dictate just how – Well, Dan Quinn's defense can play against the run, one of them being how much the Cowboys' own offense can not only run it, pass it, but simply put up points to discourage other teams from running. The number one reason the 49ers game got away from you was, you know, their willingness to continue to run it at you. And then once they built the lead, they had no reason to stop running it at you and it got ugly because you can never get to those sub packages where this defense is at its best. You can never play, you know, a guy like Bell or Donovan Wilson down, down there in the box because you knew the run was coming and they caught you on a base defenses and just you know took advantage, full advantage of that all night long. So a lot of things still go into how well this team defends the run, but just on the baseline of giving up 100-yard games, they're on a good pace to be better than they were a year ago.
1: For me, it's uh, it's going to be the red zone attempts. Dallas entering week seven is as the seventh most red zone attempts with 23 now i understand that the red zone conversion rate at uh 39.1 is the seventh worst in the nfl entering week seven you know and so that's why uh you know there's a promo code for storable food uh you know mark lane that's out there if You and your family want to get ready for the apocalypse because Dallas is seventh worst in the NFL Um, in red zone conversion. I understand that. Um, You know, that's that's out there for you. Um, And when you're down there in the bunker, maybe you can talk about how uh, the Eagles entering week seven uh, have the 10th worst red zone conversion at forty five point five percent. But, you know, we don't talk about that. That's. That's unmentioned. (laughs) What's the
2: one snack you would have to have in a doomsday bunker with
1: you? Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh,
2: great pick. Love that.
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) anyway, um, the twenty-three, you know, seventh most to me. That says as long as you're getting in the red zone, you'll fix it eventually. And as long as you get it fixed by December, so as long as they keep visiting. The red zone. I think that it it could get fixed. Yeah, you'd rather be
2: getting down there than you know not doing so at all. Of course, an element to that is the fact that Brandon Aubrey in the kicking game has been pretty automatic. So you're at least going to have three points when you get down there. Certainly, you know a lot of teams trust their kicker once you're in the red zone. But yeah, Aubrey's been automatic. So yeah, this ball control type of offense can certainly do this team a lot of good. It's a hot topic for just what that means to Mike McCarthy and, you know, how much is he kind of just fluffing things up in the media when he talks about wanting to rest his defense and all these things that poke up ears and get fans all riled up for no reason in the middle of a weekday afternoon when they're listening to this show. But, yeah, the, the room for development is there in this red zone offense. The tight ends haven't been involved to the level that we've wanted to see. So that's probably the most glaring thing that they can – they can fix either coming off the bye would be you know, very welcome to see as far as an immediate fix, but if not, going into December, certainly you might get more out of these tight ends, and CDLM continues to prove that he's a bona fide, underrated wide receiver one in this league, so the way he can take over games is always going to be a factor, and when this team plays their biggest games and the clutch moments that are still to come against the Eagles with both those matchups still looming, I expect to see the best football of CDLM's career coming up as well.
1: My defensive stat is um, average drive time of possession against the Dallas defense. So, you know, how long is the Dallas defense on the field per drive? According to pro football reference, 2 minutes 33 seconds tied with the San Francisco 49ers for the 8th quickest, let's say, in the NFL, uh, entering week seven. Uh, Up at the top is the Cleveland Browns at one minute 59 seconds. But, you know, I think that as long as the Dallas defense is able to get people off the field and they're not out there the entire time, as long as they don't get really into an average of about two minutes and 50 seconds, I think they'll be okay. I think that if you start, that average starts getting up, then that's the secret to how you beat the Cowboys is you just wear down their defense. So, you know, some of that, unfortunately, has a lot to do with the offense being able to possess the ball. Though,
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a great stat. You know, I'd love to know on the Brown side of things there, how much that skew, but I'm giving up, you know, quick scores. And it seems that they give up a lot of big plays and their game Sunday against the Colts was a, Certainly one of the wilder ones of the day with the Colts wearing a pretty weird uniform by the way. I don't know what those were, but uh, you know, they can they can go ahead and pass on on those. So wild game there in Indianapolis nonetheless, but Cleveland pulls it out uh, there at the end. Deshaun Watson getting injured along the way as well, but yeah, i would to know on their defensive side of the ball. Just how much giving up big plays and potential quick scores is, has skewed that number, but you're so right about the dichotomy of you know, how this defense can stay fresh, be at its best based on how the opposing offense feels they need to respond to what the Cowboys offense is doing. Like I said, opposing teams aren't necessarily discouraged at running the ball just right at this Cowboys defense. You know, Dan Quinn likes to get really creative and line up in a lot of different ways and it burned him against the Cardinals that we all kind of felt uneasy about that when we went back and watched the tape and saw, you know, Michael Parsons lining up at defensive tackle on first down. And it's like, well, how are you going to defend the run? And they did defend the run that game. And, you know, you have to throw out that game. And you also have to throw out the 49ers game. So that's not good when, you know, your potential next head coach slash star defensive coordinator slash side of the ball you've built around, you have to throw out two of your first six games. But, yeah, I think they've found or they're starting to find, and we hope to see more off the bye that right balance where the offense can discourage teams from running the ball right at this defense by putting that game pressure on them. And then when they do want to run the ball at them, you saw against the Chargers, the athleticism from guys like Bell and uh, DeMar Clark who really had a resurgent, not breakout game, but just a bounce back type, you know, hey, I'm still here type of game, especially without like Vander on the field. That was really good to see. So the run defense is there. They're not, you know, incapable and incompetent at stopping the run when they have to but they're not built either to just line up and have to defend it over and over again. So if, if an opposing team is willing to run it at them, that's where they can really give you some issues. The Eagles certainly come to mind as one team that will be willing to do so, but they found that balance of um, being able to take teams enough out of the run game to force. All you need is a couple, you know, pressure pass plays to make up for potentially getting gassed in the run game too. So guys like Gilmore ready to jump passes, Javon curse as well. So, if you can continue to take full advantage of mistakes in the passing game while just holding your own against a run, that's the secret sauce for this defense to still be the driving force of this team as long as they get the support from the offense they think they can get, which was kind of there against the Chargers. There's still room for improvement. We just touched on you know, what that improvement could look like coming off the bye from McCarthy, and it really needs to be another complementary game to uh, get back-to-back wins against Los Angeles teams if that's going to be the case here.
3: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
1: Yeah, and it really uh, just dovetails into what's the one problem position group that's, you know, on the roster right now and how would you fix it without, you know, utilizing a trade? Now, you can put in a waiver, you can do whatever, but you just can't use a trade to fix it.
2: I'm going to go with, I don't know if it's a, truly a problem position, but I went with the position where I think there's the most room for, you know, flexibility and true lineup changes and uh, forwardity there. So I went with linebacker, you know, Marquise Bell, can't talk enough about what he did against the Chargers. Me and you both agreed that we kind of wish we got to, sit down and immediately talk after that game, but the schedule being what it is, you know, this is our first time on the air since that game. And yeah, one of the biggest takeaways from everybody was the way that that bell played. So even when Leighton Vanderus is back and ready to go, of course, he's going to have a role as your potential play caller. And as your chess piece answer to when teams do want to be physical and run the ball against you and you have to line up in base, he needs to be the guy that, not only sees the field, but, you know, makes the plays when he's out there and gets his nose dirty and makes plays against the run head up. But yeah, I think it's linebacker with Marcus Bell. They found something there they found something with him in tandem with Damone Clark. And that helps you play a guy like Donovan Wilson, Zayron Coast down in the box. So this team is at its best when they're playing those hybrid type guys on the second level. It gives them a great look against the pass and it leaves them a little bit exposed against the run, but they make up for it. At least they did in their most recent outing against the Chargers. A good sign of things to come. See, so yeah, I think it's linebacker and side safety where you can see the most improvement and Dan Quinn uh, has room and the time during the bye to work on those things and continue to take off the line up there and keep this defense at its best by doing what he does best, which is rotating guys out in the front seven, particularly on the second level at linebacker and safety there. He has a new guy that he's, been a fan of ever since the draft process and Marquis Bell finally seeing snaps. is go and have Van Der es back and find a role for him. And I think so many other things fall into place nicely if you keep those two playing well. In addition to Mo Clark, everything else just seems to fall into place for this defense to be in position, have guys playing in the right spot, have guys that are willing to come downhill against the run, and also be willing to uh, you know make plays on the ball in the pass game and keep this defense near the top of the league and, and generating turnovers. I hate you. <laughs> That's nothing new.
1: I was going to do linebacker. Where well, so you,
2: would... you go? I usually go off at your line for all these questions, but like, you can't hear.
1: There's no, you know, there's no. Well, I mean, I was thinking, well, I might have to do uh, defensive backs just to evaluate and see if I can upgrade the gunner situation with CJ Goodwin on IR. See, there's the hidden the, the the yard, and, you know, because I didn't. When I prep these shows on a Sunday,
2: especially a long Sunday with no Cowboys, I, I'm not thinking special teams. So, uh, yeah, the four is all yours
1: on that. Well, that, that's what I would have to do is I'd have to evaluate um, the, you know, just because I want to make sure that everything is up to snuff and that my gunners, you know, uh, are able to cover um, – Just that that's where I would try to, you know, make the improvement. Like I said, without the benefit of a trade.
2: Yeah, it was an unfortunate play for Jalen Tolbert for a number of reasons to, you know, create that turnover against the Chargers. Um, I like to think he gets some benefit of the doubt as far as, you know, a young player mistake and he won't be completely in the doghouse so they can move forward. But not only is it unfortunate from his perspective on trying to build up that trust back on special teams, but there seems to be room and you know, a lot of fans calling for him to play more in offense. Myself being one of them, not, you know, pitchforks at the front of that mob, but I'm somewhere in the back, uh, you know, just kind of observing the scene and hoping to see more of in offense. And what did that mean? He plays over Michael Gallup. We'll wait to see next Sunday, but yeah, it didn't, didn't necessarily help his case with that special teams play either, but yeah, somewhere down the line, I'd like to see more of in this offense and that could help be a key to uh, getting the most out of your gunners and, and your special teams unit being strong as well.
1: Well, the thing with Tolbert was I don't even think he knew. Like, I don't think anybody in that moment could have known you know, that the ball did not, in fact, touch Um, you know, Kevonte Turpin.
2: Right. Did you see the uh,
1: Iowa-Minnesota called back punt return? No.
2: Iowa had a Putt return touchdown with like a minute and chains left to take the lead. Called back because as the it was a bouncing ball and as the returner was running towards it, he was like pointing with one hand to I guess wave people away from it and also kind of waving his other hand. And uh, I don't know, you can have a failed catch on a bouncing ball, but you know they didn't call it a failed catch on the field. He grabbed it and scored, like I said. And then they went back and reviewed it and said he actually signaled for a failed catch. The Iowa offense, which as we all know, and make memes about is pretty inept, came out on the field, got sacked on first down, and I believe threw an interception on third down, and that was the game. Uh, of note, it was the lowest over-under total, I believe, in NCAA history, and the under-hit. So you can count on a bottom in a Big Ten game producing a, a low-point total, and that, that one hit an all-time under. Good win for Texas, though, against Houston. Uh, they Had to sweat it out more than you would ever expect, but fourth down, stop, and they get the win.
1: Yeah, so... There you go, um yeah, it's just like I said I mean with Jalen tolbert i I don't even think he knew, but you know with tolbert he's had eighty five uh special team snaps uh, compared to hundred and fifty offensive snaps um so you know he's he's finding opportunities out there um but i i i if he, could, I think he would really benefit the team with his special teams play rather than starting over Michael Gallup or something. Yeah, I don't know if I want him to
2: get all of Michael Gallup snaps. You know, I'm not a Michael Gallup trooper as far as you know he's going to be you know this great star for this offense again. I just think he finds a way to make you know kind of hidden yardage type plays and catch plays that you don't want to completely eliminate and you might cut into him even just by trying to play him in a tandem because then putting more press on him to make those plays when he's out there, as opposed to consistently letting him get it to the flow of the game. But yeah, the, the missing eye test element that we touched on with this offense is, you know, where are the crossing routes, where are the like the short line of scrimmage drags that hit these guys on the run. And you can almost just picture, you know, Tober working so well, you know, was a mess concepts, you know, picking a defender with his speed or forcing a safety to fly over the top and go with him. And then the ball goes the other direction and cooks and he can, get off to the races or lamb and he can run after the catch, as well. So the run after the catch is something that we've beat on probably a little bit too much, but it is still missing. It is something that needs to improve. And I don't know what could would do that when he gets the ball in his hands, but I think just his route running. And you saw this in his college tape at South Alabama, his route running can help open up other guys in this offense to make plays after the catch,
1: which you already have. If you play him alongside lamb and Brandon cooks. Yep. All right. Let's get to the Cowboys birthdays. Um, On Monday, Tony Hill, oh no, not that Tony Hill, Uh, the defensive end, there was a second Tony Hill. Uh, He played defensive end for Dallas from 91 to 92, turns 55 today. Um, On Tuesday, Jay Novacek, yeah, the only Jay Novacek, uh, turned 61. He played tight end for Dallas from 1990 to 95. And on Thursday, Tony Casillas, who used to co-host a podcast with our very own R.J. Ochoa here on the Blogging the Boys podcast network. But before then, before he got famous, uh, he was a Cowboys defensive tackle (laughs) from 91 to 93. So that means he got a ring, and then he came back from 96 to 97. And then on Sunday, uh, Andy Dalton, quarterback, just for one year, 2020, turns 36 years old, now he's in Carolina, and those are your Cowboys birthdays, Sean. One thing I
2: always like to look at and find fascinating at times is, you know, when you send us these Cowboys birthday lists is where these players are from. Because a lot of the times I don't realize or, or know about it. So kind of fascinating to learn that uh, Jay Novichak, of course, a player I'm familiar with before my time or what Cowboys fan isn't familiar with, you know, the connection he had with Troy Aikman. And if you're a Tony Romo ever fan and you know about the Romo, to weight and connection, which of course you do, you know, just think about that on a different level with Aikman and Novacek and the incredible chemistry and plays and clutch time and Super Bowls that they had. But I didn't know that he was from South Dakota, Martin, South Dakota, a good town name, too. I might have to, uh, you know, go visit there and plant my Martin flag next to a, you know, town sign. But yeah, it's interesting to see that he comes from a, a place like that. And then Andy Dalton, also being from Katy, Texas, is a place that I haven't. Visited myself, but it's kind of been recommended as a place to go check out uh, interesting little kind of up and coming one of those up and coming communities here in Texas that I hear good things about. So those are my two interesting observations from this week's birthday list.
1: All right. Give them to me, Sean. What are your triangles of triumph this week?
2: Well, right, we're doing this on the fly because, uh, you know, no Cowboys game and that's just how the triangle segment should be anyway. So let's go with the Bears game. Yeah. Bears football. Don't don't mute me, but uh, Tyson Badgett, this undrafted Division Two quarterback, got the win against the Raiders. I mean, that's just a cool story. In this league, that doesn't happen too often. Everybody thinks they know this league. I sure do I didn't get a single, uh, as I was telling you before recording, a single pick on Thursday, right, in my in my picks contest with a friend this week. But, yeah, Tyson Badgett gets the win against the Raiders, former Cowboys defensive coach, uh, Matt Eberfors, is still the head coach there for the Bears trying to, You know, salvage the season, turn things around, show a positive direction for a franchise that's been down for a number of years, and he does so with a quarterback that nobody expected anything from. So that's a cool story to keep an eye on while we had no Cowboys game to watch. I'm going to throw a bone to our managing editor, OJ Ochoa. It was his birthday this week, uh, this past week, and he said he was grilling a, a brisket for the first time. So I'm excited to hear how that brisket turned out, certainly a soft spot for Texas barbecue as a whole, so I really hope that brisket was uh, delicious, and hey, how about you we, we, uh, have the podcast staff down there sometime, we'll all have a have a barbecue together or something, and uh, you could show off your brisket-making skills down there, but yeah, I hope it was great, certainly happy birthday to him, and as I told him, and many of our staffers did as well, we're certainly thankful for the opportunity to uh, be able to come on here, and for him to bring us together here on Blogging the Boys, so we got Tyson Badgin, happy birthday to RJ Ochoa, and uh, what's my third my third element to the triangle? I, I, I always like to go something musical. I don't necessarily have a great one to go. I don't want to go back to F1, so I will go music. I know uh, Chris Stapleton, who played the National Anthem at the Super Bowl this past year, was playing here in Austin this past weekend, so I'll go with him uh, as my as my third triangle of triumph, just to anybody, some friends that I knew that were at the shows both Friday and Saturday some famous celebrities showed up as well so you know austin's known for its kind of underground music scene and anybody can you know make it somewhere and there's coffee shops and bars and restaurants or photo garage type bands playing all the times which kind of overshadows the fact that we get some big names uh playing here as well you know bruce springsteen last year and all kinds of other ones and yeah big names still do come here to play especially in country music you get to play in Texas, you know, the capital of Texas makes sense, of course, to, uh, to come to. And Chris Stapleton decided to play two nights back-to-back here at the Moody Center in Austin, which is pretty cool to see. And uh, next time he comes around, I sure would like to get a chance to see him. So Tyson Badgett, O.J. Ochoa, Chris Stapleton, quite the uh, eclectic triangle for the bye week.
1: All right, here's my triangles of triumph. Miles Garrett, nine tackles, two sacks, two quarterback hits, tackle for loss pass breakup, two force fumbles, and a blocked what? field goal. So that's one triangle of triumph. And then I've got to go with Desmond Ritter from the Atlanta Falcons. 19-25, uh, 250, and, uh, you know, led the Falcons uh, with a big NFC South win over the Buccaneers. And then my third triangle of triumph – sticking with music uh, Taylor Swift she was there at the Chiefs game again
2: oh man I thought you didn't do T Swift talk shout out to uh, my sister though she brought uh, my niece to the Errors tour movie uh, I think tonight or you know Sunday night or sometime this weekend so you know that was cool to see uh, that they had some bonding time to to do so they such a cool concept to me like you know I, I love concerts I don't know how it would translate to seeing it on a film but I really do hold concerts. As you know, one a next to sporting events, if not even slightly above sporting events, is my favorite thing to attend. Uh, so it is cool to think about like the scope of Taylor Swift as an artist, where she's she's good enough, but also intelligent enough to think about the fans that can't afford to make it to one of her shows and would still want to take in, you know, an experience like seeing it in a movie theater. And I'll have to ask someone that's seen it, um, you know, how the experience compares and how it is, but. Just to have that option and have that accessibility to bring your show to millions and more people that wouldn't otherwise have access is pretty cool to think about.
1: Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out the the whole thing with her and Kelsey. It's like, does entertainment need the NFL and the live aspect that the NFL has and that pro sports, just sports in general has? that um, television is kind of lost? Or does the NFL need Taylor Swift because, you know, we heard for years old, oh, you know, the eyeballs aren't there, the, the ratings and all that. I'm trying to figure this out. Who needs who? I don't think the NFL needs
2: Taylor Swift by any stretch, but I think they should welcome, and they already have, and, you know, they'll, they'll work on ways to – develop this or what have you, as long as that relationship continues. But, you know, they'd be foolish not to try to embrace, you know, a whole new wave of fans that can come in and appreciate this game. They have the, you know, the defending champs as the team that T-Swift is wrapping up there in the box with the red Chiefs shirt and the 86 bracelet. So, you know, it doesn't get better from an NFL standpoint than that. So, you know, she's supporting the right team. They got, you know, of course, Mahomes being one of the faces of the league, throwing the ball to, Travis Kelsey. So, yeah, it all works pretty well in the uh, in the grand scheme of the NFL, doesn't it, when they have this extra piece uh, of marketing to bring in fans to start watching their Chiefs who play an exciting brand of football? And Andy Reid, can't say enough about him. We, of course, me and you both go back to watching his Philadelphia days. So, yeah, it's all positives. And, you know, I was watching that game from a bit of a far, but it sure didn't seem like they overdid it with the, you know, the cutaways and the references to. Taylor Swift. I could be wrong, but yeah, it seems that like they found the right happy balance of not alienating the true NFL fans that just want to see the game and care less about t Swift, but also addressing it in a way that you know is class is classful for the fans that do want to see it. Like, yes, he is here. So he is a big enough name to sell a couple of times, and we'll do so. But we're not going to do so in a way that distracts from the game. I think they found that balance again when the Chiefs uh, beat the Chargers today.
1: We got one more week, and then. We're talking about Cowboys football again, so looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll be on
2: my way back from Dallas. Hopefully the Texas writer doesn't try to kill me that weekend. Uh, my first ever Cowboys game was well, last year against the Giants. or was it two years ago. Uh, but, yeah, against the Giants at home, Jason Garrett calling plays <laughs> for the Giants there. And the hardest drain I've ever driven in in my life started coming down as I started to make my trek back from dallas back down to austin so that was a uh, quite the adventurous road trek back so hopefully some sunshine some smooth roads uh, on my way back so we can sit down and do this again this time next week
1: all right looking forward to it you've been listening to the hidden yardage podcast subscribe to us on apple spotify and stitcher so there it is